Welcome to today's episode of the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so we can become who we were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith, and if you haven't already, click the subscribe button and share the podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at jbirdfit. Today, I have yoga teacher, feminine embodiment healer, and intuitive, also a podcaster, Paula Michelle. You know, Mercury is still retrograding, actually. It's so funny. People are like celebrating like, yay, Mother's Day. All right. So let's dive, let's dive into that because maybe not everybody knows what Mercury retrograde is all about. I'm probably one of those people. And I will warn Mm -hmm. you, I'm also a Virgo and I know you don't like, (laughs) I know you don't like them. So, so let's dive into that. What is that all about? It's so funny. So Mercury retrograde is actually like when Mercury goes throughout the houses and the planets, but backwards instead of forwards. And Mercury is the planet of our intellect, right? Our mind, our analytical side, the way we speak, the way we communicate. So when this planet is going retrograde, what it does is it basically creates like um, a harder time when it comes to communication, like working things out, technology, because it rules that side. So everything that has to do with tech. And this is, I know it's been like such a commercialized thing, like, oh, Mercury's in Gatorade again, or Mercury's in the microwave, right? All these jokes, but there is truth to it. So I am a firm believer that everything's energy, right? Like we are energy. Everything around us is energy. And the astrology is just the weather for energy. So it doesn't mean that you need to like dictate your life by this. But it does mean to a certain extent that there are a higher energy. There are things at play at that moment in time. So it's so funny because Mercury goes retrograde every three months. And when it goes retrograde, it goes retrograde for like six weeks. But what people don't know is that there is a pre-shadow period where Mercury is turning, right, to make its grand day debut or whatever, debut. And then when it turns back around again, it rotates again. So there's like a shadow period between the two. So it's usually like two weeks before the initial date, which was April. I think it was like the 16th or something like that or 20 something. And then it came out yesterday, apparently, but there's still two more weeks. So we're still feeling that that energy of like tech stuff. It's not as bad, but we're still feeling it. (laughs) So If we're in anticipation for this retrograde, do we then cause things that could happen? Like, do we make things happen because we have this belief about it? I think so. And you know what? This is going to be super controversial, but it is what it is. And I'm, I'm known for controversies. But the thing is, the more you know, sometimes the less good it does to you. This is why I always tell people like, Just like educate yourself ever so lightly, take everything with a grain of salt and know that this is just potential energy. This is just energy and energy is just potential to be used. Uh, You can make with it the same thing with tarot readings. You can make with it whatever you want, because at the end of the day, you are co-creating with this universe and God. So it's not like, oh, Mercury's going retrograde. You can't purchase your house. It's like, what do you intuitively feel like you need to do? Do you, are you on the fence about this house, right? Because Mercury is really known to rule contracts. 
the way we communicate, technology. So we have to make sure that we're being mindful. For example, if we're going for a house, <laughs> if we're going for a house, maybe we need to look at it again and see if there's any leakages, right? If the bathroom's okay or the pipelines, that's all it means. The foundation. So it exactly. It's the foundation of things too. So that's really what it means. But I think that at the end of the day, like you really do create what you believe in. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's important to note that we do co-create. Mm -hmm. And so what would be your perspective on co-creation? What does that look like for us? You know, it's, it's so funny because I was just having this conversation with one of my friends and we were talking about what does co-creation mean? Because I think in the spiritual community, as great as it is, there is what we call the spiritual bypassing. And the spiritual bypassing is like, you did this, you attracted this for yourself. Like, look at yourself and look where you have gone wrong. And I do think that there is a level of responsibility to your thoughts but I also am a firm believer that you're co-creating. So as much as you think you have control of certain things, there are certain things that are out of your control because there's a higher plan. There's a plan that includes not only just you, but all of us together. And it's trying to seek out the betterment of everyone jointly. So for you to tell another individual that they're the problem, that this is why they attracted the circumstance, can potentially be harmful because you're telling them that there's something wrong. So I feel like co-creation is a part of that is like, okay, yes, I, I, I am aware that I can only control my internal self, but I'm also aware that there's a higher plan. So I might think I want this, but there's someone up there that sees things from a wider lens and can say, that's not what you need, though. That's what your ego wants, but that might not be what you need. So I think that for me is the difference. And the balance for me is like key, you know, it is, is key for me when you're creating things. I just made a post on anxious attachment. Mm -hmm. And it's this exact thing is being able to understand that we are in a state of co-creation mm -hmm. with our partner and recognizing that we play a role in that relationship with the other person. Yeah. A lot of times we get into this, if we're an anxious attacher, we get into this place of blaming the other person for our thoughts, feelings, and emotions and the things that are happening in the environment that we have created together. Understanding that your behavior directly impacts your partner. You're doing things, you're seeking validation, you're trying to draw from them. The, the picture that I drew was of a person having their heart filled up and then a plug running to the avoidant who feels emotionally drained at that moment because the avoidant has filled up the anxious person with all this love, validation, respect, and, and energy. And now the avoidance completely depleted. So they run off. And then we get into this chasing dynamic in that type of relationship. Just understanding that we have to look at people for what they're going through and what they're experiencing and try to have that knowledge of what they're going through and just having that understanding of their total experience so that we can better work with them and co-create together instead of it being a little more one-sided where we're looking for that other person to do all these things for us and to meet all these needs, but we're not necessarily showing up in a similar fashion for them. Yeah. 
you know, it's it it's said so perfectly too. I feel like a lot of the times we make people responsible for our happiness. And that's a huge thing I've seen like within myself, if if I'm being really honest in the past and also with clients as well, is like we I am not responsible for anybody's happiness but my own. That doesn't mean that I'm gonna be sensitive towards someone, or that doesn't mean that reassurance doesn't happen. But to what extent? Because I'm also a firm believer that, you know, you can pour so much into someone, but if they don't know how to receive that, if they themselves, right, it's it's like pouring into a cup that has a hole in it. Imagine you're just pouring that love, that reassurance, and then there's a hole. So their cup is never going to be full because they've never even taken the time to see that there was a hole in there in the first place, right? So I'm a firm believer in that as well. And and really knowing yourself before getting yourself into relationships and knowing your triggers and knowing who you are. And I love that just because you see it a lot on the dating apps in everybody's profile. I'm looking for somebody who's going to make me happy. And no one can make you happy. Because once again, we're in a state of co-creating constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever experience we're having right now in this moment is a, a, a result of that co-creation with our partner. But we try to make people responsible for our happiness, never realizing that we're giving our power away when we do that. And that mm-hmm. you actually have the power to make yourself happy regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not. And so mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, how do we do this? Well, it starts by making yourself a priority by doing yeah. the things that you enjoy physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And when you start, mm-hmm. I like the cup analogy you used. When you start filling up each one of those cups, you now become more confident, more capable. You start believing mm-hmm. in yourself and you start loving yourself a little bit more. You're cultivating trust within yourself and discernment at the same time yeah. to recognize when things aren't for you. And you know that now becomes a boundary that you set with yourself of, of, well, I'm not going to accept that behavior because I don't like mm-hmm. that behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful too. And you know, it's funny because you're saying this and I'm trying to like process everything before responding. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's It's been one of my practices, right? Because one of the things I've learned recently is that a lot of the times, like we, like you said, a lot of people go into relationships um, feeling this void. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's not valid to want to experience love. It's a beautiful thing. Like everybody should be able to experience that. But you can't experience fully what you are not experiencing within yourself. And that's a hard one I had to sit with because when I was meeting dead relationship after dead relationship, and it's not like I've been in many relationships, right? The ones I've been in have been a mirror of where I am not loving myself enough. So then if I'm not liking the results I'm getting, then something obviously, not that it needs to be changed, something needs to be addressed and nurtured and love and brought attention to and also accountability as well, because that's really important. So where am I, if someone's not giving me the time, the effort, the energy, where am I not giving myself the time, energy and effort? Where's love too? Because I am not chasing anybody. And I am not, you know, pursuing anyone. I'm not giving anymore. And I think that was another thing too, that was a recent subject that I spoke about with my friend. You know, I was helping her work through some stuff. And I told her, I said, where 
in you do you feel like when rejects you, it, it's an invitation for you to prove yourself even more. Try because, harder. Right? Like yeah. it's because it comes from childhood, right? Somewhere in childhood, we either didn't get enough attention from one of our caregivers and we felt like, oh, if I do this or if I do this, like maybe they'll pay more attention and see my worth. And where I am at, where my energy and where everyone's energy I encourage them to be at is this is who I am. This is my worth. Around here, we know ourselves and we love and we respect ourselves. And it's because we love and respect ourselves that we're able to see that towards others. With that being said, I am not going to negotiate my value within. Because if you can't see it within yourself, you're not going to see it within me as well. So no more of that inner child going out there and just being like, yippee, like, please look at me. No, we're not doing that. I, you, you touched on this briefly for a second, but if you follow Aaron Dowdy, he always yeah. says people feel how you feel about you. So if your cup is empty, if you're if you don't feel good about yourself, if you're having these negative experiences, people are going to be feeling that type of energy coming from you. And then they're going to react to you accordingly. And that doesn't for a lot of people that's like, oh, I don't like that. But it's but it's true. People are going to mm -hmm. feel how you feel about you yeah. and what you're experiencing. Yeah, very true. And, you know, it's funny because um, Aaron is actually a good friend of a friend of mine. And we've all had conversations about this. And it has been really um, transformative because none of us are perfect. And all of us have come, the reason why we're here and have a platform and we're, we're speaking on these things is because we've either directly experienced them and are actively working and helping people like kind of work themselves through this as well. And the reality is that there is a level subconsciously. And also, I do think this has to do with social conditioning. I do think this has to do with social media and like movies and stuff, because they teach us that we're only complete when we meet our person. And again, this is not to say that like having someone isn't great. But when I tell you that it's better to be alone, than in bad company to be in this chaotic energy that could potentially lead you to a lot of like because the energy you keep around you become so the partner that you select or that you allow yourself to you know um, resonate with is really important and oftentimes can even be detrimental to your health I mean that so that too from experience, right? Because I'm not perfect by any means, right? And I can only talk about my experience personally. But I I was in love with the idea of love. Of love. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like I'm a Scorpio. So it's like I love the deep, like give me the deep, give me the poetry, give me the boom box, like you know, all out. <laughs> all out. And that's a beautiful thing. But I also realized that not everyone is deserving of that. Not everyone has the best intentions. And it's not like I'm going to be guarded. But people will often show you how they feel about you the first five to 10 minutes. If you just sit back and quietly observe without any judgment, they will let you know who they are within that amount of time. So what does that look like? And how can you trust that your discernment is correct in that moment? 
You know, for, I, again, I can only speak from an experience of a woman, um, but for me personally, and a lot of the women that I've worked with is when we sit in front of a, a man, a lot of times energy speaks for itself. So I'm not looking at your words because anybody can manipulate words. Everybody, we've all said things that we don't really mean, right? Um, but the energy behind those words is what really hits. So for me, it's an intuitive feeling. I look at how I'm feeling also. One, I observe how I felt before arriving to the date because I was probably happy and excited already. <laughs> and then I look at how I'm feeling and how my vibration is interacting with this individual. So how is this individual, like, are they amplifying my happiness or are they, are they depleting my happiness? Because I'm already happy, but it's like, are they depleting that? Because then I'm seeing that there's either a lack of, you know, they're being inauthentic, right? Or there's something that's not sitting well. And it doesn't mean that they're a bad individual. They have hidden motives. It's just about observing. How do they talk? How do they treat you? Do they ask questions about you? Is the energy give and take or is it just take, 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 take? Because as an empath too, from my experience, I've tend to attract a lot of different people, be amazing and contribute to myself and add to that happiness. And then together we're just like, poof, like amplified, right? We're like, you know, jumping off <laughs> in, in, in a good, in a good way. But then I've also encountered narcissists and a lot of like emotionally vampires and all of these things. So for me has been observing and feeling and really tuning to that. And then of course, there's the physical action behind it. So for me, a man who's in his divine masculine and so grounded in what he wants, determined he's going to show me with his actions, not just his words. He's going to be like, hey, when can I see you next? I really like you. This is what I, you know, and I'd be open to that, right? So really, it's all about like feeling because as a woman, that's your superpower. It's like, oh, okay, this person's telling me that I'm feeling in my gut like something weird. Like I don't like, oh, like I don't know what that is. Listen to that. And again, it doesn't mean make a, a job for it and make collection. It's about like putting a tab, a mental tab is what I tell women and then come back to it later or maybe address it later or maybe find a way to bring it up. What I would tell people. Well, it's an awareness of mm -hmm. your experience and what you're going through and you may not be able to articulate it in the moment, but it's just like put a pin in it because we mm -hmm. need to come back to this. And then you can mm -hmm. grab a journal do some breath work, dive into meditation and just try to yeah. find out where that feeling's coming from and what that's really actually all about. Realize, is it is it the person or is it something that's inside of me that I mm -hmm. that got brought up for me in that moment? Yeah. Because what we don't want to do is disqualify somebody who is more deeply qualified because they brought something up in us that we didn't understand. Yeah. Oh, it's funny because yesterday I was having a conversation with, uh, again, my friend, and we were talking about everything. And she goes, well, how do you know if something's like your intuition or if it's just like a fear? And I'm like, well, that's a really great question because I think that's like the million dollar question that we all experience when it comes to like intuition and trusting your gut. And it's exactly what you said. 
is it's not about being defensive. Because for example, if you're trying to date and you're out here meeting men and women, whatever you choose, for me, it's men, right? I'm not going to go with an overly protective energy. So if I'm sitting on a date, I'm going to be open. I'm going to be receptive. I'm going to trust my intuition. And I'm going to let the person show who they are. And then I'm going to observe. And if there is something that comes up for me, I'm going to sit with it and see, is this mine? If it is mine, is it an intuitive hunch or is it a wound that this person, like you said, is triggering? All right, let's put a tab in it. I'm not going to rule this person out because doing that is coming from a wounded, you know, queen of swords energy, which is an overall masculine energy of saying, ugh, didn't like that, right? So a lot of the times too, and I've seen this on social media, is a lot of women are in such wounded masculine like energy and wounded feminine energy because a guy says one wrong thing, right? Wrong thing. And they get the or, Exactly. And it's like, and you know, it, it's crazy because we've all been there. Like I've been there as well in the past. But now I've kind of just been like, no, the person could be just like, that could be their quirky side or that could be something that, or I might've taken it wrong because I'm not as centered as I thought. So I think it's really important to know the difference because a lot of the times too, we tend to be so react instead of responsive. And there's a huge difference. One incorporates self-reflection and the other one's on impulse and survival. And I think that for me has been a huge awakener in dating. Not that I'm dating currently, but I'm just saying like in the whole experience, I've been like, oh, I didn't like that. Goodbye. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I will say a lot of times what I see is people are overlaying a version of their story onto a situation and they're drawing from a past experience because this is similar enough. And then they're just mm -hmm. filling in the gaps with mm -hmm. their old story on top of this mm -hmm. and yeah. then and then disqualifying people based on that situation from yeah. something that somebody else did, you know, a year ago, five years ago, maybe it was five minutes ago. It really doesn't matter but you're still putting that story on that person and then assigning that to them and then disqualifying somebody who could have been the one to truly show up for you because you yep. felt an ick that wasn't necessarily from them because we're not aware enough of what's happening in our own bodies and our minds and our experience and you know what to attribute that to. So mm -hmm. my, my next question was um, the one soulmates and twin flames. How <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, but, but we were going there with the, with the conversation. So the one soulmates and twin flames, do they exist? Are they all the same? What's the difference? Oh my God. If I had a, a million dollars, every time somebody asked me that question, I'm not even kidding you. Most of the, the podcasts I've done, that's like the number one question that people ask. Well, it's in you the know, comment section of like literally everything that's relationship related. <laughs> they gotta know, you know, I, I, this is going to trigger a lot of people, but I also feel like this is very much ch like very channeled and balanced information. And it doesn't even come from me. There's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of valid things to what I'm about to say. Soulmates are many and plenty. You can have many different soulmates. Soulmates can be your dog, your family, your friends, um, it could be so 
many things. It could be romantic. It could also be platonic. It really just depends. But a twin flame is only a romantic relationship. Now, the issue with twin flames is that there is approximately a billion people thinking that they're twin flames when the reality is a lot of them are just stuck in karmic relationships. I'm not here to judge anybody's relationship and to be a guru and say that my opinion is the one all be all. But the reality is that society has taken the meaning of a twin flame relationship, put this connotation behind it, and people are feeding themselves this lie, this egoic trap and shadow trap. And they're staying in these relationships and pouring in these relationships that are not only detrimental to their health and their well-being, but contrary to popular belief, they're spiritually depressing, not spiritually progressing. And that's a huge thing because at the end of the day, a twin frame relationship is what you just said, is someone's going to trigger something of you. But when it gets abusive, when it gets on and off, hot and cold, hot and cold, that is karmic. And there's a book that on it, there's a whole bunch of books that talks about this. There's a whole bunch of relationship coaches that talk about this. And the reality is um, relationships are not meant to be cookie cutter. They're not meant to be perfect, but they're not meant to be tumultuous like this. And so up and down, so chaotic where you end up having PTSD after and where you end up losing yourself. And where what I've seen um, from, from women and from even men that I see afterwards is just how broken they are after these relationships because of their attachment to this label. When the label does not mean anything, really, it's what you make it mean. So I think it's a dangerous concept, concept in that sense. Now to talk on the reality of Twin Flames is it does exist. It's very real. But the reality is that out of that billion people that think they're in it, there's probably a solid 30,000 that really are it. And the thing about these relationships is whether it's a twin flame or karmic, the good thing is that it still leads you to one thing, which is self-love and healing. But the issue is when people get trapped, and this is what I've seen, is people wait. I've seen a woman wait for eight years eight years, stop living your life to wait for someone. And that's where I personally say there's got to be a balance, a boundary, and a level of self-worth to a certain extent. And I think that's where it can get chaotic. And as far as soulmates is, soulmates can be everyone. Now, soulmate relationships are a lot more calmer because they're not karmically dense. So twin flame relationships have karma in them, but it's a karma that you're meant to go through together and work out together in a very healthy and productive way. And then you have the typical karmic relationships, right? Which a lot of the times entail the negative kind of karma, right? Like the, the ones where we hurt each other and they teach us things about ourselves and they teach us where we need to get stronger within ourselves and what we don't want. And then there's soulmate relationships, which 
we all have karma, but it's never that tumultuous. It's usually we connect, we hang out, and it's like we grow. And again, it could be friends, it could be family, it could be a different thing. So that that's really the difference between the two. Um, but I also think Twin Flames is just a concept that a lot of people are using in order to just get, quite frankly, just clout because it's so popular and everybody thinks they're a Twin Flame dynamic, you know? Well, it makes it a lot more special, right? If it's a twin flame, that means it's unique. Angelo has a question. We can run to a question real quick. How do you get over the feeling that all the fun things you love to do just aren't as good or as fun to do single? So you love to do it, but you just don't want to do it single. You know, I think there's a level of, I, I want to validate that because I think it's okay to not always want to do things on your own. But I do think that in order, and I, I heard this recently and I thought it was so powerful, is people like to be in relationships that where they feel that people don't need them, but rather choose them. And I think that part of loving yourself is understanding or understanding, right, that we can do this with someone else and it'll be fun, but it's just as fun when we do it by ourselves because there's no better company than like us being with ourselves. Well, you're stuck with yourself for your whole life, so it better be good company. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so to me, I get what, what the person's saying and it's so valid because sometimes like, I, I don't know, as a kid, did you guys ever get bored of just playing by yourself? You're like, damn, this would be 10 times more fun if someone was here were meant to share partnership. But I think you have to be okay with being alone and doing those things and falling in love because when you do it on your own and you genuinely enjoy it and you and you work through that discomfort, guess what? It's gonna be amplified 10 times more when you're with someone and you're like, oh, this is even greater. Like I loved it already by myself. Now it's even greater to do this with my partner or with my best friend or whatever it is, right? So I think that's my my opinion. So I, I think a big part of it is being able to find joy mm -hmm. in all of the small things that you're doing. So yeah. if, if you're finding that it's just not as fun, it'd be better with somebody else. I think we all feel that way a lot of times if we're mm -hmm. doing things by ourselves. Like, man, I'm hiking the state park. It would be a lot more fun if somebody was with me and we were doing mm -hmm. we were on an adventure together. But mm -hmm you're in the state park and there's so much beauty around there. Can you find the beauty in the moment and the peace in the moment and sitting with mm -hmm. yourself in the moment and recognize just how amazing this particular experience actually is and that you get to have it. And so yeah. it's just finding joy and peace in that moment and being okay with that. And the problem mm -hmm. is we're just not okay with being alone. And so it's really learning to sit inside yourself. And like you said, in that discomfort. Yeah. It is. It, it's uncomfortable sometimes, too. And you know what's crazy is what I was going to say, too, is that recently we were talking about um, sitting in the discomfort. There's this thing in yoga. We call it stirasukam. And we learn this in our yoga training. And it basically teaches us, like stirasukam says, finding ease and comfort in the discomfort. And it usually is practice when we do a really hard pose. And our mind's telling us, like, this is uncomfortable. I want to get out. I want to get out. I want to get out. That's the same thing with the ego is the ego does not like being too long in a place where it knows it's going to grow and be transcended. 
because it's out of the comfort zone. And, and that's the thing too, is like, I do think society gives us this, um, you know, if I'm being honest, BS lie that we need to always be in company. We need to always be in partnership that if we're not doing this by this age or have this, or if we're still living with our parents, or if we're doing this, there's like all this societal pressure. And then we never talk about how being alone can be so rewarding because it teaches us to be our own company, to be our own caregiver, to be our own lover and our own nurturer. And I think that's so important. And it doesn't come easy, right? But it's it's a work in progress. Always a work in progress. We have another question here from Ronnie. He says, how will I know if I'm too much or I was being gaslighted or manipulated, or is it me? These are great questions. <laughs> um, I think the context of that question really depends, if I'm being honest, because in what sense are you being told you're too much? Is it because you're stating boundaries? Is it because you're sharing how you feel? I think it depends. So for example, if you are with a partner, or if you're with a friend, let's keep it like open to all relationships because all relationships are important. And you're sharing, right? This is someone you love and you're sharing with them, hey, these are my boundaries. This is how you made me feel or this is how I felt in a situation where the action was this, this and that. If that person makes you feel like what you're saying or what you're expressing, there's a problem with it or they make you feel, how can I say it, right? Because there's a way narcissists do this. Um, when when they tell you, oh, you're wrong for this, or it's your fault, or they're yeah, projecting. They, they work to devalue you. Exactly. I would mm -hmm. say observe that. Because if they do that, then I would, I would honestly question the motives, the energy, and even the relationship at that point. Because a real relationship with someone that respects you and that reciprocates would never, you know, project or gaslight you, right? And in certain circumstances, sometimes we do expect too much from other people and we expect them, like we spoke earlier, to take care of our happiness. So I would say it kind of depends. That question depends on what's being expressed and what's being given. And so the follow-up to that was... I'm stating my emotions and I need consistency and he leaves me all the time when we fight. He said I'm too much and he said that I'm insecure. And so that sounds like a lot of blame. Yeah, th that's exactly where I was going with it is I, I think that's why I, I kind of got that energy is, you know, she's sharing how she feels and he is almost like rejecting and also projecting. There's something wrong There's because resistance. I don't. Yeah, because I don't know. So I think what I would say, Ronnie, is I don't think it's so much of a you issue. I think where you can improve is understanding that and also being aware that anytime you share your emotions, they're your emotions. No one can make you feel bad for how you feel. They're your experiences. What you can do is try not to project that onto others and also be aware that if you sharing your emotions with someone triggers them and they project, 
it's a reflection of their inability to also understand their own emotions as well. I, I hope that's making sense, right? Because, you know, people can't understand you sharing your feelings if they're not comfortable with their own feeling. So I feel like this individual has some sort of avoidance, like we said, or projection or just not wanting to face the aspects of him that resonate with this or feel triggered by what you're saying. So I don't think the issue is so much you sharing how you feel. I think it's just this person's maturity towards handling this and also seeing themselves too. Or But then also being able to see that person as do they have the emotional capacity to be yes. able to have those types of conversations. And if we exactly if we recognize that they don't, well, that's an area of like, OK, well, now we can dive into do you want to go to therapy? Do you want to go to counseling? Mm -hmm. Do you want to get a coach or a mentor or dive into some personal development or any mm -hmm. books that resonate with you on this stuff or a book, a session with mm -hmm. Paula? Right. So <laughs> yeah. there's always that. Yeah, That's true. That's yeah. true. So since we moved into that direction, what are some things that you offer from, you know, tapping into the feminine ener empowered energy? Um, what does that look like? How can somebody cultivate that energy and move into their feminine? You know, this is also a very popular like question. And also, I think a very strong movement that is happening nowadays. Um, so feminine energy is such a wound in this world because I feel like we're not taught even as even for men we're not taught to like nurture ourselves or like to nurture our emotions or to cry or to process or to even experience rage and anger and when we do that we suppress this beautiful sides of the side of us that's so vital which is for creativity sensuality sexuality um, create like creating something new, passion, interconnectedness, intuition. We don't practice that. So that's already hard for men. And we see it. We're, we're seeing it now in society because I'm a firm believer that a lot of women are becoming more man, like men. And then men are just kind of sitting there and saying, well, now what do I do? Because now these women are acting like this and it makes me feel this way. And it's like, if I show an ounce of emotion, then I'm a soft guy or I get the princess treatment, whatever that was that I saw. So it the energies are so out of whack, but I think that's also a representation as our society is and our women are. And as a woman, if you don't connect with your feminine energy, you will burn out in life. Because it is not the way that the woman is created. And I'm talking specifically about women. Because feminine energy is regardless of gender, by the way. It's a creative. It's the yin energy. And then there's the yang energy, which is the masculine. So we have right side and then left side. And these two energies, when they mesh together, they create duality. They create the yin yang, which is like the car and then the ignition to turn on the car is yang energy. That's how we always said it in yoga. So the physical manifestation of that desire of turning on the car is the car, the yin energy, feminine. And then the turning on and actively driving the car is the yang. One can't coexist without the other. If you have the feminine energy, the car is manifested. The car is just going to sit because it needs that yang energy, the divine action. So as women, when we predominantly reside in masculine energy, 
we are overworking ourselves. We are overly guarded. We're overly analytical. We're overly competitive. And even though these are qualities that can be used to our advantage, it creates a lot of wound. It creates a lot of resistance. It repels the masculine men. Why? Because masculine men don't want to be with other masculines. They want to be with feminines. And the feminine energy is what? Receptive. Because I trust myself, I trust that I attracted you because you're in the same vibration as me. And I trust that because I trust myself. So it's a it's an energy of creation. It's an energy of being open. It's an energy of community. It's an energy of vitality and creation. And it's so important, especially as women. And this is not to get confused with being submissive. This is not to get confused with accepting and not having boundaries. A divine feminine knows her boundaries. This is what I bring to the table. And I know myself. And, you know, it's so important because we're not taught that. And as women, I've seen it in the community, how competitive we are, how overly critical we are about ourselves, how sometimes we want to compare ourselves to men and say, oh, I can do that better. It's like, no, there is no comparison because we're simply two different individuals. There's no comparison. Yang energy is not worried about yang energy because it's too busy in the state of being. And I think that's what it means when we work in these coaching containers, when we have these conversations, it's about teaching women to come back to that source, to come back to that goddess energy, to claim back your power, but not in a way where you're pushing down men because that's not feminine energy. That's still wounded feminine energy. It's in a place of empowerment of saying, I can do it alone but I'm open to let a man help me. I'm open to let someone else help me because it's about community. And in these containers, we dive deep into women's wombs where their source of creation is. And we learn about intuition. We learn exactly what we spoke up, you know, spoke about at the beginning of this podcast, which is how do I feel when I am in the presence of this person? What does that feel like in my body? We also go through trauma healing where in my womb, because that's where women hold and men also hold a lot of their traumas in their sacral chakra, where as a child did I chuck up this trauma and now it's manifesting in this area of my life and in that area of my life and in this, like how can we bring more light and awareness to this so that we can heal? and no longer repeat this cycle because it's not necessary once the lesson is learned. So that's what we do in these coaching containers. And it's basically calling our power back, restored, but in such a balanced way. What are some examples of how the wounded feminine might develop? Because there's a lot of people out there, they ask these questions and they're just uncertain of, you know, was this caused by my parents or a certain situation? Or was it in my early dating years? Like, how does this develop mm -hmm. for somebody? It's usually in childhood, I'll be honest. Um, because for women, your first love is your dad. That's the first masculine representation of what you desire to eventually go for, right? We're, and we're talking, you know, if you're interested in men, right? But again, energy is not dictated on specific genders. It's just 
someone can be feminine and have a lot of masculine energy. You know, we've seen it. We've seen it so time after time. But for for your question specifically, it comes from the father. So if the father, when you were young, right, was not as present, let's say your dad was in your life, but he worked too much. And even though he did it out of a good place to provide for the family, when you were a child, you didn't understand that. That's not something that you got. You just got to see your dad not being there. So it creates this abandonment wound. And then you don't know that later on, you don't heal it, right? Because you're young. It's not like you're aware of it. And then you grow and you start dating. Sometime in high school, maybe college, depending. And you start seeing that wound now be fed by these relationships that come into your life. So then the wound gets bigger and bigger. So then the abandonment issues now turn into you people pleasing in order for them to stay and not abandon you. Uh, you turn into, you know, changing aspects of yourself in order to be validated so that they don't abandon you. So that's really where wounds come from is really childhood. But like we spoke earlier on, to take it one step further, it can also be ancestral wounds that are passed down through our mother's uterus, through us, energetically, so on and so forth. But usually it has to do with childhood. There's a childhood wound. like, And I'll be honest and I'll share some of my experiences. When I was little, my mom left me for daycare, just for daycare. And that created such a wound. <laughs> that created such a wound of me thinking that I was abandoned, even though she came and picked me up. So it could be just as little but to that infant brain, it's so big. And then you drag that unconsciously. And then your unconscious takes that and then it creates that in relationships, especially with men, if it came from your dad, especially with women, if it came from your mom. So that's really where we see a lot of the, the pain. And usually when you go back and you do shadow work and you do these things, you are able to address the root cause of it and then heal it. And then liberate yourself and start attracting, you know, even more amazing experiences. And it's so important to kind of hone back in on this. <laughs> anyway, to go back to the very beginning of, you know, when these things start to happen, you, you know, you're born, you have these experiences, there's some a little bit of trauma that occurs. And then, you know, you become self-aware uh, to where you start having memories and you're diving into the family unit and all the different things that are going on. And you don't have the language to be able to give yourself the words to explain whatever you're experiencing yeah. in that moment. So, yes, dad was working, but he was working shift work. He was working two jobs. He had a lot of stuff going on. He was trying to pay bills. But we make it about us in that yeah. well, he wasn't around. He didn't love me. And so mm -hmm. we take it as he didn't love me, but he was doing all of these other things. But that's yeah. also the example that was set for you. Mm -hmm. So now we fast forward and we have all this unhealed uh, trauma in our bodies and experiences that we haven't. But we don't often use that language. We use blaming language of the other person that we have brought into our lives. And we assign the story to that person that this must be what's going on because yeah. of the past experiences that I've had. The problem that we run into, everybody wants the masculine right now to be vulnerable. 
And it's a massive mm -hmm. conversation that's occurring right now. But you as a child didn't have that experience from your father of someone who is vulnerable. And mm -hmm. so you don't know how to accept that energy in that relationship. So when a man is vulnerable to you, it's too much for your nervous system. It's too much for you to take in because mm -hmm. that energy is so powerful and they don't, you don't know what to do with it because you've never experienced it before. And so it becomes very difficult to then sit with this person. And that leads to rejection. I don't like the way this yeah. feels. I don't want to be with you. And then that can turn into you're too much or you mm -hmm. see that you see the, the man that you're dating is being weak because he was vulnerable in front of you but we don't know what yeah. to do with that energy. So it's a complete turnoff in that moment. And so there needs to be more mm -hmm. awareness created around that, that if you're asking for vulnerability, be prepared to accept that energy. And if you don't know what that means, yeah. then we need to start diving into that a little bit more. Yeah. This is also where women get the ick too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's like it's funny because I see so many women asking like I want this and I want that and I want this and then they'll get glimpses of this and then they're like, oh, I got the ick and it's like, oh, well, why'd you get the ick? Like, did he pick something? And it's like, no, he shared his feelings and I'm like, but but isn't but isn't that what you asked for? <laughs> isn't that what you asked for? You asked for it, but you don't have a container for it because again, mm -hmm. you've never experienced it. So you don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to hold it. If I give it to you, you're going to drop it because you don't know what to do with it, mm -hmm. right? You don't know where to place that as far as being able to compartmentalize it in your brain and be able to navigate it and understand it from that perspective because you're coming from your own energy. Yeah. And so this is why I encourage men, find other men that you can be in community with, that you can build relationships with. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten so far away from that where a lot of men, they only have one or two close friends. And yeah. so you should be expanding your network and finding a group of people that you can be around. They're going to help hone you and sharpen you, develop you, and you can work together in community with one another um, to heal your wounds and to work on uh, the things that you know that you need to work on. So you're not yeah. over, you're not overloading the feminine with your experiences. Mm -hmm. And so then when you're in relationship with this person, right now, you're embodying your masculine energy and the intent there is for you to be in your frame and absorb the feminine because that's your role as the masculine. And mm -hmm. this is where we get into, well, that's unfair. This is the way things have developed. You are the masculine. Mm -hmm. You are there to lead and grow the relationship. And so they need to feel safe in your energy. And the way that you do that is by not overloading the other person and understanding your own thoughts, feelings, and emotions and diving into a certain level of stoicism that's comfortable for you to navigate that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, also the important to like um the importance of understanding like the dynamics between a masculine energy and a feminine energy as well because i feel like a lot of the times most people most parties are both in masculine energy and it's like it doesn't work because yeah, you're like in competition you're, you're, exactly yeah. it, it's like this right we have this like saying in spanish that we say like way machos no caben en una jaula which means like Two, two crabs, two male crabs can't fit in a, you know, in a little like, like, what's it called? Like a little uh, trap, like you can't, you can't be together, right? And I think it's so important because as a feminine, there is no issues being in feminine energy around the right people. 
the right energy. And it, it does take a level of safety and it does take trust and it does take, but I also am a firm believer. And I, I know this ruffled a lot of feathers when I said this, but men are naturally made to pursue. Now, this doesn't mean be arrogant. This doesn't mean, you know, um, make them beg for it. That's not what I'm saying. But men are natural hunters and they do go for what they want. So it's like I always tell women, if you're if you feel confused or you feel like he's half out, half in, he's probably just not interested if I'm being really honest. And that's hard. I've had to tell myself that too. I'm like, he's just not interested. And I got to know my value as a woman because I'm not going to be negotiating my worth with nobody, whether it's a man or a woman. I'm not doing it. And I think that's important. I think it's also important to recognize that chasing versus pursuit. We don't want to, we don't want to chase because what you chase will always run away from you. However, mm-hmm. pursuit is okay on both sides because you're actively yeah. pursuing each other. And we've created this dynamic in modern dating that makes it really difficult for men to mm-hmm. want to walk up to somebody and just ask you on a date. Something so simple. The man is not as attractive to you as you want him to be for somebody who's asking you out. Now, all of a sudden, we have the ick mm-hmm. and, you know, we're creating videos at the gym that Joey Swole has to swoop in and, you know, yell at everybody for like, hey, don't do that. That's not cool. In the old days, it used to be, well, they would drop a handkerchief for someone that yeah. they were interested in. <laughs> and Matthew, Matthew Hussey talks about this. And so... It's okay for you as the feminine, if you find somebody in a coffee shop, they interest you, you're attracted to them, walk up, say hello, start a conversation. That simple start of a Mm -hmm. conversation is the same as dropping that handkerchief and acknowledging that I already like- I think you're cute. Yeah, I think you're cute. I would like to get to know you a little bit better. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we're so afraid of rejection that we don't do it then we end up alone. And then we're wondering where are all the good people at? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting, too. Like, it's so funny, too, because we were talking about this. And and another way of hanging is what I tell people is, let's say you meet someone on Instagram, and you think they're cute, you can always tap their photos and hit like. (laughs) That's like, we were joking about that. But it's so funny, because I, I don't know. I don't know if this is like a new generation thing. I, I didn't know this till recently, but apparently, let's say someone you meet someone on social media, and you know you kind of exchange numbers or whatever it is, and they didn't reach out just yet. To your point, if you're a woman, a, a very subtle way to do it too is to apparently like their photos, and that lets them know, like, hey, like this person's interested, thinks you're cute. Mm. <laughs> everything social media it's so funny no and and i hear you on that and i (laughs) i get it because people say this all the time oh yeah just watch their stories like a few things and that shows interest and that can be a sign or signal yes but i don't Mm -hmm. want people to become reliant on that because it's a a very passive way of doing Mm -hmm. things and you set yourself up for disappointment because Now you liked a couple photos and maybe you made a comment and now you're just waiting for this person to come and come and claim (laughs) you. But you haven't you haven't come open and said how you feel and what you want and and what experience you want to have. And it's totally okay to do that. You can still be Mm -hmm. in your feminine and say, this is what I want. And if they don't claim it, it has nothing to do with you personally. It's not something to take personal. But if you don't ask for what you want, you're never going to get it. 
Yeah, you know, that has been a lesson too. I just thought it was funny. The I think it's more so what they were referring to is let's say you meet in person and you guys exchange because I, a lot of people, and I'll be honest, I've gotten approached in person and I don't always feel comfortable giving my number. So I usually keep that like very reserved and then I just usually give them my Instagram. So if they want to commun communicate through there first, especially upon meeting someone. And numbers for me are, are, are important. And, um, well, you I know, feel it, special now. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. I, I, I do. I've just had a lot of like, um, unwanted messages. So I'm like, yeah. listen, it's, it's private for a reason, but it's so funny because someone told me, you know, there's this thing like you get, like, if you're interested back and cause usually women exchange their Instagram and men don't know if like, Oh, is she interested or is she just clicking me into Instagram? And it's like, you, you never know the reason, but like you said, it leaves an open interpretation, which can be really misconstrued. And I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for communication. And personally for me, I've never shied away from telling someone that I'm interested. I don't think there's anything wrong with telling someone like, Hey, like, I really like you. Like, I think we should go, I, I'm totally coffee or whatever. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I do think there's a wound around it. And I also feel like there's a line too, because when, and I guess this is a question for you. I really want to pick your brain for a second is as a man, how would you know, right? Like, let's say, let's say we were dating how would you know if someone's honestly interested in you or maybe just not that into you? Like, how do you know where to draw the line, would you say? So I get this question a lot. You know, how do I know if they're interested in me? And it really comes down to, well, how do you feel about the relationship? You're asking the question, so you're already uncertain. And so if you're already uncertain, then there's something that's not happening that you would prefer to happen. So what is it that you would prefer to happen in this moment with this particular relationship? And then it goes back to, you know, just asking for what you want. We don't set boundaries. We don't set expectations. We ne we rarely have these very direct conversations about where we're going, what we're doing, why we're doing it. We don't use dating language, right? We It turns into situationships. We're in a talking, yeah. we're in a talking stage. Talking stages don't exist. That is from... The time that you swipe right, you have a couple messages. That's your talking stage, right? And maybe the and, and the first date. After the first date, you have a second date. You are now dating. So call it what it is. And we're too afraid to say what things are because we're so afraid of that uh, rejection yeah. that, could, that could potentially happen. But if you're using language like monogamy, dating, and that scares somebody off, guess what? They just did you a favor right? They didn't waste your time. Now they bolted, they're gone. They went off in the different direction because that's scary to them. Um, yeah. Being, being in a committed relationship instead of this ongoing situationship that lasts three to nine months. And then you start this toxic cycle that keeps repeating itself over and over every couple months mm -hmm. because you're too afraid to say what you want and what you need. That's beautiful because that literally summarizes half of the conversations I have with a lot of people. It's it's funny because there is this this weird, like you said, this awkward unspoken energy when it comes to saying we're dating, we're seeing each other. I, I look, I'm not originally American, right? I, I I don't come from here, so a lot of the things that I was taught 
or really different. So to me, we say, we say dating is getting to know someone. So when you're actively, it means you go on dates, you're, you're knowing someone. When you're in a relationship, you're in a relationship. But like you said, let's call dating, dating. Like it is that. But people get so trapped. I mean, just bringing that up and saying, oh, yeah, because we're dating. They're like, we're not dating. Well, we're and, date, and date, dating is saying that we're leading up to a committed relationship because we're dating. Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose of dating. Otherwise, it's just a hookup. Mm -hmm. So then call it what it is. Stop trying to say, well, it's a situationship. No, you're just hooking up. That's it. Mm -hmm. So call it what it is. And if that makes you feel bad, well, then that's something to pay attention to yeah. in, in yourself because you're trying to sugarcoat something that doesn't need to be sugarcoated. You just have to mm -hmm. call it what it is and then be okay with that's the behavior that you're accepting and that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. that's another thing too. Yeah. It's and there's no powerful. shame. There's no shame in that. If you partake in hookup culture and that's what you like and that's what you do, that's fine. But don't expect a relationship from somebody who you yeah. already you already knew on their dating profile. It says something casual or <laughs> or let's let's <laughs> let's take it slow or I don't know what I want. I'm just looking like you're at Target, like perusing one of the aisles, just looking for something. Right. And it's like, OK, well, you don't know who you are, where you're going, what you want. And you're going to do nothing but confuse me in this relationship. So why yeah. do we why do we swipe right? Well, they have a bunch of preferences. And so they've already pre-qualified this person based off of those preferences. And then comes the story that we overlay on top of that. Because I saw their social media, their Instagram, their Facebook, their TikTok. And they've, I, I even looked up their LinkedIn. Maybe I Googled, Googled them, did a background check already. And they've, they've checked everything out. So they create the story about this person of how amazing it's going to be. And then this person really doesn't live up to that because they're, they wanted something casual. They didn't want what you wanted. Yeah. You know, to add on to that, um, I, I personally, uh, I don't believe in dating apps. I, I just think, I know it's worked out for a lot of people. For me personally, I just think that a lot of the times most, and not always, right? Cause I don't want to put a judgment out there, but a lot of the people are on there already making prejudgments, already having this said mentality. And a lot of them are not necessarily don't even know themselves because I think that a lot of the times you can and you will meet someone organically. And there's and I know that a lot of people say, well, like that's extinct. No, it's not. No, it's not. I've literally met people at farmers markets when I least expected it. I literally met people at the grocery store. Not that that was any better of an experience, but <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the whole point is that you don't have to do these things if, if you don't want to. I feel like there's also a pressure of like, oh, we'll just get on a dating app. It's like, no, your energy also attracts. And, and, and especially when you're in alignment, if you go to a yoga class, if you go to kickboxing, if you Go to places too to meet people because I also feel like in an app, it's a hit or miss. I have one of my best friends. She is in an app and I mean, she was in an app. She met the person they've been dating for like a year plus and it worked out great. But not everyone's like that. So there are, I want to give hope that there's still like that organic way of meeting people and, um, you know, seeing people as well. And I think it's just so valid everything that you said about like, Nowadays, you make these preconceived notions already, or you see someone, 
And I remember a good friend of mine once told me, P, you cannot fall in love with someone's potential. You have to see and you have to see their actions. They have to prove to you. You have to prove to them. This is, and it's not even proof, but it's like you have to mesh and that takes time. So now what I've been practicing is I don't want to know anything about this person. I want to see it for myself. That's what the whole dating thing is. I don't need you to show me your Forbes magazine thing. I don't need you to show me that you have this business and that it makes $1.5 million a year. I want to see you in front of me and I want to experience that energy because that's where the reality of things are. Because a lot of people put a facade, right? And then when they sit in front of you, it's totally different. Especially yeah. so, it, well, so you look at social media and it's so well curated. They've got all these different pictures up and it makes their life look absolutely amazing. And they're, you know, they're doing all these awesome things, all the, all the food, all the cars, all the money, all this stuff. And then you meet in person and it's just like, okay, well, this, <laughs> this is different. I did like that you said the potential. So that was actually one of my first videos uh, on TikTok that really went viral. And it was, it's not the person that you miss. It's the potential that relationship had. Mm -hmm. And that potential is inside of you. You are the potential in all of your relationships. And where we get lost a lot of the times is we hand that over to the other person and make them yeah. responsible for it. And, and then when, when the relationship's over, we're disappointed. And then we, we feel like we lost ourselves in that process. So it's just really important to recognize that you are the potential in all of your relationships. You bring that energy. You bring the joy, the love, the grace, all of it. You bring that yeah. with you to each relationship that you get into. Nobody takes that away from you when they decide to leave or go in a different direction. That's something that's always inside of you. And mm -hmm. so that's also a way to take your power yeah. back. Right. And to feel empowered going into relationships. Yeah, I 100% agree. I don't think there's anything that I could add on to that other than, yeah, you know, a lot of the times we fall in love with the potential because we, it, it, you know, and it to your point to exactly what you said, I saw it worded differently where it said you didn't love them. You loved who you were when you were with them. Yeah. You or you love the version of you that you were when you were with this person. And this is not to degrade anyone or this is not to disrespect. But a lot of the times when you take the love that you placed on that person and you remove it and then you look into hindsight, you're like, oh, my God, we were not even compatible or, oh, my God, maybe this person is not not as glorious as I chalked them out to be. Maybe it was my love, that that thing that I should have been pouring into myself that I projected onto them. And this is where we go, of course, we get petty and we're like, oh, you know, it's our love that made them great. Not that that's always the case, but it to a certain extent, there is some sort of um, truth to that. And sometimes they were the one that was great and we weren't so great, you know, that exactly. that takes a level of self-awareness and personal accountability yeah. in the relationship. So my next yeah. question, and I love this because it kind of <laughs> leans into all this, is painting red flags white. <laughs> I, I saw your video on this and I, I we have to dive into it. What does that look like? Why do we paint red flags white? Oh my God. Oh, it's so funny. I still have not made the video of what even my red flags are. So thank you for reminding me of that. Um, <laughs> so 
painting red flags white. Oh my Lord. I feel like we've all done this. I think a lot of the times what this means is we meet someone, we like them, we think they're but then there are, when we get to know them furthermore, there are actual red flags that are concerning. Now, red flags, I'm not speaking on, oh, they chew loudly or, oh, they're like a little too attached to their mom or they're like a mama's boy, which that might be a red flag to some people, right? Okay, but the chewing loudly thing and then, <laughs> or, or the fact that you're just breathing, like people say that and they mean it. Yeah. So to me, the red flags are like sociopathic tendencies or like narcissistic tendencies or red flags could be severe, like emotionally unavailability, um, distrust, right? Um, not being aware of your habitual patterns that are just not not good, right? Or not wanting to improve. Those are the big red flags I'm talking about, right? The cheating, the lying, and a lot of the times when we're dating someone, like we spoke about, we place that like, we place them in this like rose colored glasses. Like we're so excited. We're so enamored. We're so love. We're so in love with the idea of love that love, it doesn't allow us to see at all. So we begin to feel or experience these people doing not so good red flag behavior to us. And we're like, oh no, it's fine. We make an excuse for them because our heart is so big, right? And we're so in love with the idea of love. We just paint them. So that's what I meant by from now on, when I, when I date someone, when I choose to take that step, I am not painting that red flag white. It's staying red. It doesn't mean at the first shot I'm going to bounce, but it just means that that's red. We're not painting it white and we're not just going to skip over it. And for me, as an example, is my most recent relationship um, that I got out of about six months ago, there were a lot of red flags that I really painted white because I wanted the idea of what I've already perceived this person as when there were a lot of things that they were doing that really not just um, not coming from wound, but from intuition, I knew were not right, right? There's a voice inside of you that says, this is not right. Don't do that. So, and, and then I we ignore those. it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then we run against a wall and then we go, but why? And it's yeah. like, hello, <laughs> did you see the plethora of red flags that you had? You had a bouquet of red flags and you wanted them so desperately to be white. So that's, that's what I meant with the video and I think most people got a kicker out of it, but I really meant it. <laughs> no, that's good. Well, we, we often betray ourselves mm -hmm. when, when we do that and we're doing mm -hmm. it so that we can please the other person or to maintain that inner dialogue, that story that we've created, because we don't want that story to go away. We want to be able to maintain yeah. that. So we, we try to stay in it. Yeah. And absolutely. the, the other thing is when we love, love, this is how it feels to the other person. You don't love me. You love the idea of love. You're not looking yeah. at me. You're not asking questions of me. You're not getting to know me. You love mm -hmm. the situation. You might like mm -hmm. me as a person. You might be enjoying mm -hmm. what's happening right now in this moment, but I don't feel like you love me. And yeah. so that causes the person to go in the opposite direction because it doesn't feel authentic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, and I think it's safe to say, like, um, I, I think a lot of us, and I've experienced this too, I've actually experienced people falling in love with the potential of who I am, not necessarily listening to who I really am and wanting to get to know me for me. And I think we all experience that. And I think we've also been on the other end of where we romanticize this person. And also another thing I learned recently too, is that just because you could, doesn't mean you should. Just because someone has the potential and they're attractive and you guys like each other, it doesn't mean you have to. It could just be platonic and that's it. And, but, and but I've got a scarcity mindset and there's nobody else around and this person yeah. meets most of my criteria. So why wouldn't I be with this person? Yeah. Keyword, most of my criteria. Well, that's, <laughs> but that's what people do, right? That's what we do. Keyword. It, most it's, of it's good my enough. Criteria. There's not a large population of single people in my demographic. So I'm going to go with this one because they're here and you don't realize that you're actually blocking what's meant for you for coming yeah. in. So you're taking what's good enough and not realizing that what you really wanted is actually right around the corner and coming to yeah. you very soon. And you just weren't patient enough to sit in that discomfort. So you got into that relationship, not you directly, but no, yeah. You know, proverbial you. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's so true because, uh, you know, the key word was most, and it's not like we're going to have a, a list of all the things that they need to have. But I do think it's healthy for you to sit down with yourself and say, okay, who am I, first of all? What do I offer? What do I embody? And what do I want or I desire in a partner to amplify those things? Because that's important too, because you can't, you know, if, if you're a really religious person or a really spiritual person, it's going to be harder, not that it's impossible, but it's going to be harder for you to be with someone who doesn't believe in any of those things. So it's up to you to ask, like you said, for what you desire and for what you feel you're worthy of and you deserve. And I think that sometimes we're not taught those. And another thing is, and we've all done this, is we've compromised certain things because let's say our list has 10 things, but they have three of the things. So we'll compromise the other seven that they don't have clearly. No, and it's that minim don't... minimum six. I'm sorry. You got to have at least six <laughs> or, so, or it's a no. So we compromise those things though. And we've all done them, right? To me, I've gotten to the point, I'm like, listen, it's got to be nine out of 10. <laughs> If I'm going to go, if I'm going to go. And, and it's also about making sure too that I read this thing. It was so beautiful. If I find it, I'll send it to you so you can like share it. But it said, in order for you to ask for the husband or the wife that you want, you got to be willing to be the husband and wife that they deserve as well and that you want to attract. And, and it's funny because a lot of women and a lot of men are out here in situationships, like you said, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't shame. But if that's not what you want, then I would significantly start not doing that and not accepting that then and standing strong in that and saying, I will not do this unless there is some sort of commitment where this is my commitment to myself. I'm going to be, you know, completely like celibate or, or whatever it is, whatever you need to do for yourself. And I think that's important because what you feed and what you allow comes 
So then you're, you're going to continue to attract these situationships or these hookups when really your soul might be craving alone time or maybe something more monogamous and stable. And I think that's important also to say, but we get this shaming too. And, and we get the shaming from both both men and women because sometimes you'll go up to a, a man and you'll be like, this is what I want. This is what I'm worthy of. And they'll be like, oh, well, that's a little much. Or we're, we just started getting to know each other. Or you need to chill out. It's like, no, I am chill. There's no pressure. I'm just letting you know these are my boundaries. This is where I stand. And like you said, by that point, you know if someone's interested or not. And if they run at the first sight of that, then you already know. And you so already know where you stand. This is what I tell people. You have to know your goals, values, and standards for a relationship with you. And from there, you will find your boundaries. And then once you figure out what your boundaries are in each of those areas, now mm -hmm. you have to stick to them. Yes. And that is the hardest part for all of us is to actually stick to our boundaries because we're so we were raised to be little people pleasers. It's so easy for us to just allow people to cross that boundary left and right. And then we feel mm -hmm. less than we don't feel seen, heard, loved and understood mm -hmm. and all these other negative emotions that end up coming up for you. So yeah. the, the path is truly goal, goals, values and standards for a relationship with you. What does that mean? Yeah. What does that look like? Find your boundaries and then hold that boundary. Yeah. And it's going to feel that. uncomfortable. You're not going to like it because you've never done it before. And you're going to feel like everybody hates you. And I can assure you, nobody hates you, but they've also never been told no. No. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. My friend always told me, she goes, no is a complete sentence. I hope mm. you know that. You never have to explain that, whether male or female. You never have to explain a no. If it's a, if it's not a hell yes, it's, it's a, a hell, hell no. Yeah. It's a Absolutely. hell no. <laughs> That's so important. And holding yourself accountable, like we say in yoga, we call it tapas, which is discipline. And it's really all about like that discipline with yourself. And for me personally, one of my practices that I've been incorporating recently is being really disciplined. If I say no phone for the first two to three hours of my morning, it's no phone for the first two to three hours of my morning. I know it might sound silly, but it means a lot to me and it means a lot to me to connect. If I say I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes a day, I want to stick to that. And it's not because I'm uptight. It's not because there needs to be perfection. It's because those are boundaries. I'm trying to work that muscle of building. This is a boundary for me because if I don't violate myself, then I will not allow other people to also violate that as well. I'm proud of you for being able to do that because I am very much in the addiction phase of trying to build all my content up and to build my following and stuff like that. So it's just like, no, I, I'm like attached all the time trying to get this stuff like pushed out and created and, you know, all the hashtags and, you know, what am I doing wrong? I'm not growing. What's happening? Yeah. It's like, you. No, I get that. I think we all go through that process. And even still, sometimes I find myself in this as well. Um, and I want to give you like uh, props to you for being so disciplined and so educated. I think we all go through different phases in our life. Like right now, for me, my discipline is in my, my self-love and my mental health because of everything I've recently gone through. Also my business, but I'm learning to work it from a feminine perspective, which is different from you. 
And for you, you have that energy, right, as a male. So it works better for you to do it like that. So everyone's really different and everyone has to find it. But I wanted to give you kudos because um, you, I always tell people, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Like, don't just put them on TikTok. Don't just put them on Instagram. Like, look for platforms. Look for different things where you can put your content because there's always different people. I mean, there's still a whole bunch of people that don't use TikTok, even still. And YouTube. so I'm proof yeah. of that because a couple months ago, I'd say like three months ago, I had... 127, 127, 127 followers on Facebook. And I'm hit, I just hit 47,000 in a couple That's month amazing. period. And it's like, okay, so there's, if you're in doubt and something isn't working for you, be okay with pivoting and then just expanding yourself a little bit more to allow yourself to go, okay, well, I'm going to go on TikTok. I'm going to go on uh, Instagram. I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to also yeah. check out YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. And, and then you got all your bases covered. Anything more than that, and you're gonna you're already spread too thin. But yeah. it's just recognizing that people are gonna resonate with you, the individual, and you just have to be okay with being patient enough to be able to attract that audience in. Yeah. Um, because they're going to resonate with you if you're telling a good story, if you're sharing good mm -hmm. information, and just know that you're doing the right thing when you're doing this stuff. Yeah, I agree with that. If you build it, that. they will come. Yeah, it takes time too. I think that's yeah. another thing for me, the patience. I was just, I just got done talking about that is like patience has been a huge thing for me, like trusting patience and, you know, because TikTok gives you like this boost. And I think for both of us, it's like our videos boomed and then but the reality is that's not how it typically happens, right? Yeah. In other platforms, you have to like really work, especially YouTube. You have to be like that consistency. And then in here, and then recently, TikTok has just been as great as it is. It It's just been kind of weird for me. So I've kind of been rebranching and saying, okay, maybe this is a sign practicing detachment. I need to detach. Maybe I need to put my content elsewhere. I need to collaborate. Maybe there's different things that I have to do. You nailed it right on the head. Um, I've been trying to find other creators that are willing to go live more consistently mm -hmm. together, right? From a collaborative standpoint, making sure that our energy aligns and that yeah. our mission and vision is similar so that we attract in. But I think a lot of times what happens is they're so afraid of doing that not realizing that there's like, I don't know, what is there like a billion users or something, whatever. And that somebody's going to resonate with you and they'll sign up to work with you, not necessarily yeah. me because they don't resonate with me. And so we get in this fear state and scarcity mindset that, you know, well, if I collaborate with you, then what if yeah. they only like your content and they go towards you? And it's like, no, that's, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> you no. know, so I, co collaboration, yeah. I think is the way of beating the algorithm at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I've never I've never thought of what you just said, but I can see how some other people think that usually for me, collaborations like are so much fun. And I don't go into it thinking like, oh, what will I get out of my business? I just go into it thinking like, I don't like talking by myself all the time. <laughs> so it's nice to have someone and to ask questions and to like, see someone else's perspective. So I think that's healthy. And if people want to, I always say there's always plenty, plenty for everyone. There's plenty for everyone here. 
But I can see that. I can see that. And I can also see like the dynamic on TikTok just changing and TikTok changing as a whole. Um, there's like new apps coming out as well that have been really interesting to say the least. Um, so like, I've been like looking what? into that. So recently there's been this app called Lemonade. It's okay. um, it's a really, it's I, I always explain it to people. It's like a mix between Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok. If they had a baby, it would be this app. And the side, I recently just started posting on there, and it's a, a completely different, refreshing energy. It's really about blogging. Um, it's creating more content, writing, which I love writing. So that's actually what I used to do before all of this. And um, it's an app that allows you to take pictures to to express yourself so you can post videos and also post like long ass messages explaining yourself and explaining the things you want to say. And, and it has a lot of potential. So we're starting to see the growth in all okay. of this. I like that. Uh, but I always say YouTube is the best place for podcasts. It really is to to post that long content. <laughs> I, so I've definitely been uh, been posting. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't go anywhere right now, which I'm totally fine with. It's just it's hard. Well, again, it's a matter of, you know, I post a bunch of shorts and the shorts seem to do OK because um, I only have like, what, 650 followers right now. So it's like the shorts will get a thousand views or a couple yeah. hundred. It's very inconsistent, but I haven't been consistent with that. But for the podcast, I break the episodes down. Ooh. I put them in there and just let them do their thing. And, you know, the people that I do the podcast with, they put it on their pages. And, yeah. you know, hopefully it all grows. It but what's great is I discovered Opus. Have you used this yet? No, I have not, actually. So you edit down your podcast uh, in DaVinci Resolve because it's free. I like free. Um, so you edit that down and you put your podcast on on YouTube, from YouTube, you take that link, drop it into Opus, and it creates clips for you with text already on the screen, like oh, like Hormozy style clips. And then it gives you a rating of the uh, the lead in for each one, so the hook that it's using, and it gives you a description of what the video is actually saying and what it's about. And so it's a really cool AI tool. You get like five hours a month or something like that. And if you share the wow. link, um, then you get a couple more hours and stuff. So share the link with me, please. It, it makes life so much easier because for one podcast, like you and I have talked for over an hour, right? So I'm going to edit this down, get rid of all the in-between stuff. It's going to take me probably eight hours to be able to do all of that, you know, going line by line, um, minute by minute mm -hmm. as we go through all of this. I'm so thankful that you're not a mm, uh, uh, oh person. So... <laughs> Thank you for that because it makes things a lot easier. I think I said it one or two times, but not much. It was when I was genuinely thinking, though. I, I probably said it more than you did, so that's <laughs> fine. But it, it's just it takes eight hours to edit down uh, a one hour, mm -hmm. one and a half hour video, depending on how people speak. Um, I see, I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, ah, you just did it. So, so then to do that and then go back and try to create clips from that mm -hmm. as well yeah. as make content for all the platforms, captions for all the platforms, you know, all the, all the other stuff you're doing. Plus I have one-on-one -on -one coaching. I answer one-on-one -on -one videos. 
there's just always stuff lot. there's just always stuff coming in and you're a one man band so you do the best that you can with all this stuff so yeah. finding finding a tool like that is like oh it's amazing yeah this ai stuff has gotten really like awesome at the same time but it's also terrifying as well because i think about all the video editors and i think about like all the photographers and all the things and even just typing blogs now, like you can put a whole bunch of pictures and say what you want to say, and it'll literally automate it for you. All of it. It's crazy. So I'm not going to lie. I type in three sentences of what I want to say to capture the essence. And then I plug it into AI. It creates the caption yeah. for me. I don't do it all the time, but still for, for longer captions, that's what I do. And it's just like, it's so quick and easy, but it still captures the essence of what I wanted to say. You go in, change a couple words and you're good to go. Yeah. Hey, work smarter, not harder. Because when we're, when I'm a one woman show as well, this is why sometimes it's, it's very hard for me to be on TikTok because I'm creating content here, but the content I create here is not always the same as Instagram. And my YouTube, I left for a while and I am just now starting to get back on it as well. So it, it's a lot like YouTube is editing a lot. I mean, it does take me just like you said, eight hours, a whole day of just editing, clipping. And I think I've just gotten to a point where we're not striving. I used to strive for perfection, which is beautiful. But then you get so caught in all the details that you end up discarding the whole thing and then not posting anything. And now I've just kind of let the camera run. Let me just talk, clip here and there, post. Let's not think about it excessively because if we do, we're not going to do it. Yeah, because then you just move into procrastination and then exactly. that turns into imposter syndrome and then you start yeah. doubting everything you're doing. And it's yeah. And then you get the, tr the one troll comment out of... Yeah. Out of hundreds of really great positive comments that are supportive, but you get that one yeah. troll comment and you're just like, oh, yeah, you, you feel so defeated. And you do. Why do we do that? You know, it's like we focus on that one on that one yeah. comment. Oh, my goodness. It's and everybody experiences it. They all go through mm -hmm. it. It's funny. I remember when I first started TikTok, uh, one of my videos, it was like a morning routine something so like simple, very chill, minding my own business. I remember there was, I will never forget this because of the number. It was 333,000, I guess you could call them witches on TikTok or, or whatever it is that they consider themselves. That's literally their name. And they took one of my videos when I was burning sage and they plastered it. I mean, my video was trending because I was getting plastered all over TikTok. And the amount of comments, the the hatred coming from these comments towards me, it taught me so much because for the first time, I didn't look at it as I'm the problem, I'm doing something wrong. I looked at it as how can people have this much anger for something so simple? Like that's just sad to pop off from something like this. Yeah. And again, the video was not disrespectful, but it taught me to build tough skin because in this industry, you never know what you're going to get. And, you know, it, it was tough. It, it was a very tough month. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But I think we all experience that to a certain extent, maybe not as intense as that sometimes, but 
we sometimes tend to focus on one comment and and that's hard. That's hard because it's like nobody knows how much work like effort we put into this work. And then we just get that one comment. <laughs> well, it's also hard when you're a young creator. Mm-hmm. And so you haven't developed the following or the social proof yet to put into your message. You believe in your message and you know it wholeheartedly and it's something that you embody. Mm-hmm. So it's authentic to you but you haven't developed a social proof yet. And so when you get those negative messages, when you're at like 5,000, 10,000 followers, 20,000 followers, you're just, yeah. you really start to doubt yourself. Like, oh my goodness, why do I feel this way? And it's just something inside of you that you need to explore and recognize that you know mm-hmm. these, these are people that are hurting. They're going through a difficult time. They're taking it out on you. More often than not, if you uh, message them back and say something, you know, just positive or uplifting or helpful, you know, give them some information that, you know, guide them towards a book. I do that a lot. Hey, have you read this book? (laughs) Because on TikTok, you you only have so many characters, right? So you can't dive it. You can't dive into it, into it without making a video. So instead, if I don't like a comment, and even when I do like comments, I still do this. But if I really don't like a comment, I suggest a book that would be helpful based off of the attitude. And I'll go to their profile and I'll look and see what they've got going on. And you're on social media. You're easy to find. So I dive, <laughs> I dive into what you're doing. You can see you can see it's like, oh, OK, God, you're really hurting. I'm so sorry that mm-hmm. you're hurting like this. And I, I get that you're just taking it out on this particular comment because it brought something up for you. So yeah. here, here's something that's helpful. Yeah. And good luck. That's so true. that's such a virgo i love that have the day that you deserve (laughs) i love that (laughs) you know it's funny where did you get that i didn't like virgos i had to ask that one of your videos it's like you list out a bunch of signs and you're like we're not giving that energy no, you know, it's funny, people took that wrong. So I meant to say, like, when you fumble these zodiac signs, meaning like, that's the attitude that those zodiac signs give. And the ones I listed are very much the zodiac signs I like. Uh, okay. <laughs> I listed myself, I lifted myself in there, Taurus and Scorpio. So, oh, nice. <laughs> so that that's what I meant. But I think people took it the other way. Yeah. No, that's so funny. funny. Yeah. So what about starting over? So many of us have been put in a space where we've had to start over and we don't know where to go, what to do, how to do it, where to find motivation. What are some things that have inspired you during this time where you've been kind of starting over and developing a new uh, chapter of your life? What's some guidance you can give? Um. I starting over is inevitable sometimes in life. So we're going to go through it and it's not easy. I know that for me, it has not been easy, but one of the biggest things that keeps me motivated is obviously a change needed to happen because where I was at previously was not where I wanted to be. So on a soul level, I agreed to this change to a certain extent. And I think what motivates me is, okay, it's an opportunity to clear out the canvas, start from zero, completely open and say, okay, where, what do I want to create next? Where do I want to head into? And I think that is what makes it worth it for me is, okay, 
I am now changing all these things. So where do I see myself? What would I want? What does that life look like? What does it entail? And that's what honestly keeps me motivated. And coming from someone who recently literally like lost what most humans can say, like almost everything, including a car, a relationship, a house, all of it, and coming back from zero, it has been such a humbling experience because it has taught me, okay, what can I, who am I outside of these things? Who am I when I don't have a car, when I don't really have a house and I'm living with someone now? Like, who am I? Because when it's easier to say those things, when you have all, all the things attached to you, your ego does, it's not the same though, when you find yourself in this reset and this change in this new cycle in your life of needing to start over. That I think has been the biggest growth moment for me because it's made me realize I am not what I have. I am what I what I experience and how I share that with people and what I can help them feel and how I can impact their life. So I think that has been a huge motivator for me because it's allowed me to look at life in a different perspective and say, okay, I have a blank canvas. Yeah, I can focus right now. I don't have a car. I, I don't have all these things. But on the plus side is I don't have a car, which means I can get a new one. I can do this and I can create this. And who am I? Well, I want to be this person now because I want to experience that. So it's been kind of switching things and switching the perspective, which I'm not going to lie to you. It has not been easy. It has not been roses and butterflies. We were supposed to do this uh, podcast for the, like the past two weeks and I was literally MIA hiatus from TikTok because I really needed to decompress and process before I was ready to, to literally speak on what I preach. <laughs> you know, I had to make sure. But what keeps me motivated is the past is gone. I can either sink or swim and I can learn from it and create now what I really desire, which obviously was not tethered to to that life. Otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have needed to restart, theoretically. So what are you creating? What's next for you? What do you want? <clears throat> you know, honestly, I just want to be peaceful. That's good. I don't even want to say happy. I want to say peaceful. I, I think that's the number one thing. And that sounds silly. because When you say that to people, they're like, okay, and what else? No, when you go through the amount of trauma and the beautiful lessons that I just went through, you realize how valuable peace is and how essential it is for you to build a business, for you to love on yourself, for you to grow, and for you to be so connected. And I think right now what I am actively working towards is creating more content like this so that people feel validated and that people feel seen and heard and talking about mental health and taking care of yourself and loving yourself and being on that healing journey. Like, what does that look like? Because it's not just getting a nice haircut and nice clothes and getting your nails done. Like, loving yourself really comes in when you have to walk away from people that no longer, you know, give you respect. Self-love is knowing that maybe you do need to start over. And even though that scares you, you trust in yourself 
and you trust in the divine. So building that and, and cultivating happier relationships and more experiences is what I'm here for, is the experiences, the, the journey, the lessons, even as messy as they are, and honestly sharing that with people, sharing a huge part of my life with people. I think it's time. I love that. I think peace is definitely something that's underrated. We, we don't mm -hmm. talk enough about it, how to cultivate it, how to figure it out, what it feels like, and that it's actually something that we can have mm -hmm. because our lives have been so chaotic. And that's the importance of doing the inner work is figuring out how to navigate you and understand you so that you can be able to deliver that message in a way that is loving and authentic to who you want to be. Yeah. That's exactly right. So I think this is a good place to end. Where can everybody find you on social media? How can they reach you? How can they work with you? <laughs> oh, I love that. So there's a couple places. Obviously, you guys can follow me on TikTok at Paula Michelle. Uh, there's also my website, paulamichelle.com, and then Instagram and YouTube as well. They're all under the same name. You can find me there and... Um, join, join the family. And obviously I, I'm sure we're gonna be having more lives together, which is exciting eventually. And thank you, thank you so much for your time, for your energy, for your wisdom as well. And most importantly, for your patience. <laughs>